This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Welcome to another episode of What Is Your Favorite Thing About Basketball, the short podcast series I'm doing. This episode, I discussed development with Mark Schindler at first, and then I think eventually it became about humanity in basketball and how players are perceived and how to cover them. So I sincerely hope you enjoy this episode. I think it is very, very good. Mark Schindler, what is your favorite thing about basketball? Yeah. Um, so when you asked me to do this originally, I thought about it, and it was a pretty quick answer for me. That's that's player development, watching guys grow, um, watching teams grow and build over time, and just seeing how things change, how guys adapt, um, how uh, just kind of watching things over time. Like, I think the the more extended answer is as much as I – simultaneously hate that the season is so long, which sounds rich from somebody who, who covers basketball for a living. Like I'm, I'm lucky to do it. I'm happy to do it. But at the same time, like it is kind of maddening that the season is 82 games long. Cause I'm the kind of person, like I want to watch everything, even if it's, it's something I'm working on. It's not always like the greatest thing, but um, like, I love soaking everything in and getting as many reference points as possible. And um seeing the variation. I think that's what part of what I love about basketball so much is that there is so much of it to a degree. And I think that plays into the variability and like, I love that I can watch somebody, you know, the first week of the season um, like, oh, okay, let's just take Scotty Barnes. Cause I think I, part of the reason I've loved watching the Raptors this year has been the whole team in general, but I mean, Scotty is like just one of the craziest draft progressions that I've ever seen in somebody like obviously I haven't been I haven't been covering the NBA that long like less than less than four years um and I haven't been covering the draft for that long either I think like a year just about um but watching Scotty all of last year at Florida State and projecting what I thought he was going to be in the NBA which he's already surpassed to me in my mind um to a degree, like in terms of what I think, he, like, I feel like he's already overshot what his progression is, what I even like imagined it looking like. And to see him like growing into, okay, the first game at summer league where he's taking fadeaways, I'm like, whoa, that never happened at Florida state to watching him start to develop this pull up mid range game in Toronto. And well, yes, it looks mechanical and it's not perfect. Like, that he's doing it and it's even happening is amazing. And like, I absolutely love it. So watching the way that he's progressing, like the game where I think our, our, our good friend Blake Murphy tweeted out how um, like during a game, I can't remember which game it was, I think it might've been against the Celtics when he was like, I think this is the least impressive game of, of Scotty Barnes's career so far with the Raptors. And then he takes five threes in like 10 minutes and hits three of them. If I remember correctly, like seeing that kind of stuff, like I love that. I love watching that and, and soaking it and trying to understand it and seeing how it um, how it changes the course of a team, how it changes a guy's career and, and, and growth track. Like, I love that stuff. Um, and not to keep going on a really long rant, but 
like part of like i i get clowned at times mostly in jest like just as a as a joke uh but for my love and admiration for like 99% of players in the nba um and i have a special affinity for shemezi matu of of the sacramento kings formerly of uh, of the spurs um because you watch him play and like i just don't know that i've seen anybody in a role like that like he, he he plays as a starter now he's been kind of in and out as a starter throughout the season for them but like he's somebody who like came into the nba the hope was for him to be a shooter because that was kind of the hope for him at usc when he was there and a guy who could block shots too the defense doesn't really pan out for him but offensively he like really works to be a face-up for like his footwork has really come along and his aggression and, and willingness to take guys off the dribble and just put together some some combinations that you wouldn't really expect. Like, I just appreciate watching a guy with the audacity to grow like that. And, and he doesn't play, like, confined to his role. I know it sounds so random, but it's just those are the things that I really like. Like, that's what I really love about the NBA and watching basketball is seeing how guys, uh, how guys grow in their game. A wonderful dovetail to – Talk about Barnes and then Metu and the audacity to grow, which is a, you know, a great way to frame it. You think about how many guys have come into the NBA as non-shooters, and it takes years to tease volume out of them. And you were talking about Metu and how he's able to, you know, adapt to the NBA game and his burgeoning skills as they progress. And Scotty Barnes, who, right in his first summer league game, is hitting threes and yelling "bang, bitch!" like. These guys are just the the rapid ascension is hard to even kind of I don't know reckon with because you see yourself play basketball, you see a lot of other people play basketball, and you see NBA players play basketball, and the development is like it's curved just so much more, and so that's those two I think are like incredibly interesting. This this question would be more tailored towards you than maybe basketball in general, but it still gets there. Is there something that you find you have a fairly good read on for watching in development? Because everybody who watches basketball, there are things you notice better than others. A lot of people have a really good read for shot making or like dribble packages and stuff, the flasher aspects of um, NBA basketball. And some people really understand how to, you know, JJ Redick and Chris Paul on the JJ Redick podcast were talking about in the the strategy to guarding a screen and beating a guy to the spot. And some people have a really good read for watching defensive minutia and defensive rotations and stuff like that. So my question is, what do you think you have the best read for as far as, I guess, tracking progression from players or maybe identifying it? Yeah. Um, I guess that's a good question. Um, I'm still like, I think this year I've grown most and, and how I view and understand ball handling and playmaking. Um, and I'm still trying to get a better read on it and, and understanding. Um, I think I would say uh, defense is for me, something that really stands out for me, like that I feel like I'm pretty good at noticing, like how guys are reacting, um, how guys are positioning themselves. And um, like that sort of thing I think stands out to me a lot. Um, I would also say just like how a guy prepares for a shot or like how they're flowing in an offense. Like, are they using screens? Are they, how well do they set up screens? Like that's part of the reason, like I loved watching James Booknight at, at UConn last year, because we haven't really got, gotten to see him play much this year, but 
Um, like he was somebody who like, I love guys who, who operate off the ball. Um, like he, he did a lot of stuff on ball, but a lot of like, he very similar to like a rip Hamilton type where like to get the ball, he's doing so much off the ball that doesn't go into just what a usage rate is. And like seeing that kind of stuff, like the minutia that's happening when a guy is playing off the ball and not even necessarily involved in something yet. Um, I feel like that's the stuff that I really notice a lot. Um, but I mean, also how a guy's like driving, like what's, what's their confidence? Like, you know, are they quicker to attack off the catch? Things like that. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd like to say that I have like a, a decent eye for everything. I have, I have probably a better eye for understanding how a guy's playing defense, especially man to man and, um, what their responsibilities are. But, um, it just kind of depends, you know, like what, what kind of player are you looking at and, um, you know, what's their, what, what has been, I don't really, I'm not really an archetype person, but like, what is their build kind of been like throughout their career? And, you know, I think it just depends from guy to guy, what, what pops the most. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about that, it kind of brings to mind noticing things, obviously, but how you value things. And do you find that you value defense more than a lot of people who watch basketball for that reason? I wouldn't necessarily say that I value, um, I don't think I would say I value that more. Um, I think to say that I understand it more would sound kind of asinine. So I don't mean it like that. <laughs> like that, I mean, you, you get what I'm saying, but like, I don't know. I think that I do at times, uh, like I think what, where I've really gotten, I think better at it is understanding like the intersection of athleticism and technique. Um, like for me, part of like, like you mentioned was like, like we talked about with Scotty, like Scotty has been a little bit disappointing as a defender this year. Part of that is, you know, just the Raptor scheme can be chaotic. I think he's looked a little bit better recently because they've been better as a team recently, but um, you know, I think there was this idea that got thrown around a lot and unfortunately got kicked to fans that he was going to be a switch everything defender who can just, you know, one through five, he's got it all covered. And I just really think that lost the point of who he is. Also, I just hate doing the, oh, he's a switch everything guy. Like there are very few guys in the NBA who are actually capable of doing that. And more importantly, should do that. Um, but like, I mean, you could watch him play against uh, other high major players. Like they played against Pitt last year. Or no, it wasn't, it wasn't a pick game. They played against Georgia Tech when he was at Florida State and Jose Alvarado, who's playing in the NBA now. But again, he's like a, he's like a second guard in the NBA right now. So you could see him get beat off the dribble pretty easily last year, even though he's making the right decisions and, and going the right places, but you just see, okay, he doesn't have the greatest lateral quickness, but I think, you know, if somebody's watching him play against uh, like a guy who's going to play in Europe or something, who's, you know, like a lead point guard for Pitt, then, uh, and they see Scotty Stonewall. And I think a lot of people be that like, Oh, see that and be like, Oh, he's got great lateral quickness. He can, he can cover the point of attack. And I would watch him be like, okay, well, the guy he's going up against doesn't have a lot of burst. And he's not necessarily somebody who he's going to see at the NBA level um, because that's just not a guy who makes it to the NBA level. And, and I see him making the right steps and, and reads, but it's like, okay, this guy has a seven foot two, seven foot three wingspan, and he knows where to be and has like an incredible defensive mind and, and maps the court extremely well. So that's more what factors in for me. It's like, I think sometimes people can confuse making the right decisions and having great tools for um, for being able to do a little bit more. And I think we've seen that play out at the NBA level a little bit. And I don't mean that to slander Scotty. Like he's a guy who I think will make an all defense team at some point, but he's just a different kind of defender than I think people realize. Yeah. All defense is really tough to make. Yeah. It, all defense might be the toughest team to make 
actually, even just by the numbers, like there's only two teams. Um, you don't control reputation whatsoever. And reputation is such a large part of all defensive teams. And yeah, so I think like all defense is such a, God, it's such a minefield to predict who's going to make it because you could even look at Marcus All, who's considered one of the great defenders of his era. He may, he won defensive player of the year before he even got all defense first team. Like that's, that is how strange and nebulous defense is as far as how it's covered and how it's voted on. So Scotty, you, you mostly you just hope like there's, there's defenders who are going to be the best defender on their team. And you just know they'll get defensive player of the year consideration. Mobley is kind of tracking to be that type of dude, but most players, you just want them to be good. Mm-hmm. OG Ananobi, for example, what is the difference between him being an all NBA defender and what he is right now? Nothing really. He just doesn't have the accolade, but the Raptors feel that impact. And what is the, the true difference in defensive impact between him and Tybal? You can quibble and you can find differences, but they're both still overwhelmingly positive. I think that's really interesting to think about from, you know, the Scotty point of view. The thing that I want to talk about though, is you mentioned Alvarado and you said you really liked looking for guys confidence earlier on. And Alvarado was part of kind of a, a semi-viral clip where he's bringing the ball up the court and D'Angelo Russell points yeah. at him and says, can he shoot? And Alvarado says, yes, I can shoot. And then it cuts to him hitting a, a different shot from three at a different time. And so Alvarado, the league over, would actually be a below average shooter, and especially for his position. But it's that indomitable will. Yeah, I can shoot and yells it at him. What, what do you think about that? I loved it, man. Um, it was <laughs> that was so cool to see, especially because uh, he like he was somebody who was really fun at summer league, but I wasn't really sure. A, I mean, I wasn't sure if he was going to get a lot of run with the roster. Um, but I've loved what Willie Green has done. Like, I, not to just like go on a side tangent, but side tangent. Um, Willie Green has been awesome in in New Orleans so to see the buy-in that he's been able to get from guys. I think that kind of stuff can be oversold, but it's been legit there. Like, he came into a very difficult job, especially with Zion getting injured um, and not coming back early in the year. Like, I think many expected. Um, you know, Nikhil Alexander Walker really just could not find his footing. And he inserted Herb Jones in the starting lineup, like a, an undrafted rookie into the Bold starting move. lineup. Like you just don't, what? Bold move. Yeah, exactly. And actually he might've gotten a hard, second round. I can't remember off the top of my head, but mm-hmm. regardless, like very bold move to see that over somebody who, you know, like that, that people have had a lot of stock in, in the keel. Um, but with Jose, like exactly. I mean, I think, I just I don't want to just say I bet on guys like that because that's not like okay that's taking a a situation where it has really popped and worked out but like when you're looking at somebody who's more on the margins like that somebody who's small who doesn't necessarily have all the same measurables and stuff but they have that kind of ability that comes through in games not just off the court um, I mean it's special dude like he's been legitimately impactful for them he was yeah I think he had 17 last night against Miami they ended up losing the game partially because CJ McCollum was. He struggled in his first game shooting from the field, but um, it was it's, he's just been a, a joy to watch in general. Like he's not somebody who I really expected to have the kind of impact he has, and um, it's been impressive. I think it's also cool because when a new type of player kind of breaks the mold in the NBA, it creates 
not a fast track, but a viable lane for people to follow in their footsteps. And Fred Van Vliet in Toronto, probably for some thinkers, you know, around the NBA, not people who cover the league, but people who have decision-making power probably makes people more lenient with Alvarado saying, well, maybe this type of guy can succeed in the NBA and perhaps even get to a high, high level as Fred Van Vliet has done. He's smashed the he's smashed his perceived ceiling over and over again. And that's the next thing I want to ask about is, do you have a favorite development story? Because if, if development is your favorite thing, then obviously there has to be some stories or some players uh, that you revel in watching them grow from, you know, A to B or B to A over their career. Yeah. I mean, Fred has to be up there. Um, I'll never forget watching because I, I watched that game live when it was, uh, I think it was 2014 in the elite eight when Wichita state played, uh, um, played Kentucky. And I think you, I went back and I tracked it the other day. I think he was the seventh best prospect in that game. Cause it was like Julius Randall, the Harrison brothers, um, Ron Baker, um, who was at the time a better prospect than Fred, um, clean Anthony early. Like, I mean, it was just like, a, a, it was a really fun game, honestly, but like to see where Fred has gone from there. And he's, I mean, he's surpassed Julius as a player. Um, like no, no offense to Julius Randall. I still think like he's looked better the last couple of games, but um, like Fred to, to get to where he's been, I think part of it, part of what's been frustrating this year, like I thought Fred should have been, an automatic vote in for the all-star game. I still think that there's some real saying aesthetic bias is the wrong way to put it, but like he doesn't necessarily play like a quote unquote point guard plays like, and I'm like, I don't care. The guy just he, saying that he's just a winner is like, un, it, there's, there's no nuance there. And that's not really necessarily the, the truth. Like he's just a good basketball player is the way that I would put it. And I think that's kind of what I really enjoy about development and just stuff in general. Like, um, and, and some of my frustrations with the NBA can be seeing these guys who are taking steps and making strides, but they don't really get put in great positions. Like part of what, like going back to new Orleans was really tough is a guy like Najee Marshall, who has really struggled this year to find swimming. He's gotten some more run recently and looked better, but he was a guy who really popped playing alongside Zion last year, really benefited from having the gravity of a superstar next to him and was fantastic playing off and looked like a future starter and a guy I had penciled in to start for the, for the Pels this year. Zion isn't there. BI is kind of rough to start the year. Um, their spacing and the way that that team gets guarded is just like wonky and all over the place for the first 15 games. And Najee's confidence just absolutely eradicated because he was, I mean, he was really, he was asked to do more than he was capable of doing um, was just put in a different environment than he was used to. And I think that's part of why I enjoy, um, I mean, I don't enjoy seeing somebody fail and struggle, but like, I think part of why I really enjoy player development and watching it and trying to understand everything is I, I think there's sometimes I can be annoying about how nuanced I am. I've been told such, uh, but like everything is different in every single area. Like every new environment and scenario and, and all the guys that are on the court with you changes the, the settings. And I think that's how I, I try and look at things like, um, like when I'm looking at, like, I don't want to put it like whenever things come up about um, fit versus best player available in the draft, I think what really gets frustrating for me is like, it's different for every damn team, man. Like the best player available, isn't the best player available in the same two teams, in my opinion, like 
yes, it can be. If you're dra- drafting at the top of the draft, you just get like who's most talented. But at the same time, okay, if you already have like, well, okay, what is your what is your best developmental track? Like, do you actually have the room to accommodate this guy and and put him in the best positions? Do you have the developmental coaches and the staff to actually grow the areas of his game that you view need to be grown? Are you guys going to be on the same page personality wise? Like there's so much more that goes into it than just this guy is good. You need to draft into your team or this guy fits what you want to do. You have to make it work. Um, So like, I mean, like in terms of just talking about the sheer volume of games, like what I most enjoy is trying to understand where every team, every player, every, every program and organization is coming from, because I think that's the, I don't know if I want to say it's the best way, but that's how I like viewing and understanding what development is going on and, and why guys are, are, aren't failing. Um, I mean, are, aren't working. I don't want to see them fail again, but like, um, I, I know it was a really big run on, but that's kind of where I'm at with it. Mm-hmm. I, I am in a very similar boat to you. Although uh, as far as volume of watching basketball, Um, you definitely watch more than me. Um, You have a better pulse on more teams than I do. And you try and cover the draft. I haven't touched the draft. I, I know I'm friends with many guys who cover the draft and scouts and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm around it. I hear about guys, but I haven't watched any, any college basketball. So your, (laughs) your hunger to understand the game and like to kind of distill it down to its smallest parts and then relearn it from that point is kind of amazing and so why people don't do that you know why doesn't everybody do that i think most people just don't want to spend that much time doing it and that's okay yeah i don't recommend people do it honestly like i just i don't want to just say that i'm not like special or anything i'm just weird like i don't know it's just what i how i like things that that's not that's not at all what i mean i I don't mean it as like it's just different strokes for different folks and that, that was my next question is like why do you think this is the the manifestation of how you enjoy basketball that you want to, it's not completionism, but especially because you can't do that in basketball, but oh, definitely you're not. very, yeah. you're very clearly trying to understand everything all at once. And, you know, by God doing a pretty damn good job of it. Oh, <laughs> I, I appreciate that, man. Um, I think, I don't know. I think I've gotten a better hold on that this year. Like, um, I mean, I think you and I have talked about it a little bit before, but not super in depth, but like I was working on a, on a pro boxing career um, earlier in my life and that didn't work out. Um, I had pretty severe injuries and had to medically retire before I could really get where I wanted to and thought I'd been going for, for a decent uh, portion of my late teens, early, early twenties. Um and I just really know what to do with my life, honestly. I know this is going like a dark turn, but um, I i mean, basketball had always kind of been on in the background for me. I'd never played super seriously. Like I always played on, on blacktops and stuff with my friends. and um, But I just had always kind of casually enjoyed basketball in the background. And then, uh, I mean, I went from spending every waking moment of my day preparing, training, fighting uh, to, to be – who I thought I was going to be. And um, I had that stripped away and I didn't know what else to fill my life with. And um, after really, you know, kind of trying to figure out where I was at and, and kind of being confined to a couch for um, over, around like a year and a half, um, 
I got really into just watching basketball. And I know it's so random, just out of nowhere. Like I'd always, like I would watch games, but like that went from, from me just watching to me trying to really watch and understand. And, and then I started listening to podcasts and trying to learn more and um, understand the pulse of everything going on everywhere. Cause I, I wanted to understand. I just like understanding and seeing um, what's happening. Cause I think what I really struggled with just as an athlete in general, like I was, uh, I was really bad at handling pressure. Like it would eat me alive. Like I had so many nights where I would be like just lying awake, like the night before a fight. And all I could think about was like, oh man, like, I wonder what, what the dude I'm about to fight tomorrow is doing. Like maybe he's, he's working right now, which is like a crazy thought when you go back and think about it. like, no, this dude is fucking sleeping because he has to fight tomorrow. Like, why would he be awake training it? Like, you know, 12 hours before he has a match. Um, I think there's just, and I've tried dipping more into writing about this stuff too. And I'm, I'm working on, on getting into it. Cause honestly, like I never, I, like I'm saying, I never made it as a professional athlete. I wanted to, but um, I think I experienced a lot of things that um, some people who who maybe haven't gone as far in sports, not that there's anything wrong with that, but um, I think I experienced some things that that really changed my perspective um, as a person uh, and in how I view sports too, uh, just in general. And I, I think to me, like my real big hope with being in basketball and loving it and covering it is that we can just try and view people in a different way, or maybe I can try and push something that way. And maybe that's a little bit of a folly to think that I can have that big of an impact, but um, there's just a lot of things that I really think need to change about sports and how we talk about them and cover them and enjoy them. And um, I think to me, just getting a better understanding and grip on everything, at least for me is how I try and do it. Um, and just trying to be fair to everyone involved. Uh, Cause I think a lot of times, well, yeah, these guys do make millions of dollars or whatever. There's just so much more to it than that. Like, I'll never forget reading DeMar DeRozan's piece in the Player Tribune. Um, I was, like, unreal. And I was like, wow, I get that. Like, I, I wasn't making millions or anything. But, like, in terms of the, um, you know, winning just never really did it for me. Like, it was more like the training and actually being involved with something, um, you know, like, winning doesn't really take away winning or, or money doesn't really take away how it feels to deal with some of the pressures and stuff. So again, I know that's a really long answer, but I think that's uh that's, that's partially why it really drives me to do um, the way that I do things. I would say in your work that it's in your work, in your commentary, that it's very clear that you are always trying to humanize these athletes, which is good. I, I wish there was, it's something I tried to do. It's something all my favorite writers do. And I think it's a worthy cause. And that pours out of your work. So you should feel good that you're doing that. And I got to say, after hearing that story, it, it's quite plain why you feel that way. So I think that's awesome. That's, that's really meaningful. And I think it's a, a noble cause to try and uh, affect media in that way. The, the, the last thing I'll ask you is, because it, you know, we are we are going somewhere where I think it sounds like it's basketball isn't basketball. Basketball is like humanity through this lens. But to bring it back to just basketball being basketball, is there a player who was the genesis of you falling in love with the game? Like, what was the first game you felt that you were actually really paying attention to, and who was the player that maybe gobsmacked you? Yeah, it's um, a good question. 
I think to me, it was probably, uh, man, I got to go back for this one. Like, I think Paul George is who really made me fall in love with basketball. Um, like mm-hmm. the first real basketball that I sat down and watched was the 13, 14 Eastern conference finals against the Miami heat. And Paul George was just like, I mean, I don't know if people remember, I'm, I'm sure you do. Cause we were both growing up around that time, but uh, watching Paul George play Miami heat that year, obviously the, the Pacers end up losing Roy Hibbert kind of free us how to play basketball and that team dissipates. But um, like that time, Paul George is getting mentioned as like, even though they lose that series, he plays so well. Everyone's like, okay, well, maybe he's taking that step towards being like a top 10 player in the NBA. And obviously, I mean, he had the injury and that, that kind of derailed things from for a little bit. And he, he ended up getting back to that level. But um, I think watching him and the way that he played the game and, and the way that that team played the game is what really sold me on it. But um, in going back and watching too, like Danny Granger, I think is like, one of my favorite players of all time. One of the few guys who I will like actually wear a Jersey for that played semi recently. Um, like he just had a, such a fun game. I'd love to watch him now um, and how he played in his prime. Um, like I just enjoy a lot of really random players who have kind of funky games. Um, like, I mean, DeMar too. I think DeMar is somebody, especially when the NBA first really came into my life. Like I, I started really getting into DeMar DeRozan in his game, especially during the, the year when I think it was 17, 18 with the, the year, the bench mob and, and, and how well they were playing. But um, yeah, those would be my guys. Paul George is a great pick. And there's some similarities between you and I, A, in that, you know, we're of a similar age and we were watching basketball, obviously at a similar spot in our lives. But Paul George to me is the platonic ideal of what basketball looks like. I've never seen as silky smooth uh, basketball player handle jumper downhill motion. And then also being able to mix that with how violent he can be when he's getting that shoulder down and stopping on his one leg and then finishing with that push shot. You obviously know that move. It should be clear as day to you. And then Russell Westbrook kind of introducing me to the hyper violence of basketball, but in, you know, the, not the violence as in criminal way, but just the violence of bodies colliding, poster dunks, all that kind of stuff. And then LeBron James of this era is maybe anybody's introduction to greatness. And those three guys kind of live in my head as these, I don't know, foundational aspects of basketball, even though they aren't. There there are many players who came before them who impacted what they did and all that kind of stuff. And recently there's been players who have changed the league and like Harden learning from Manu, but the league looking more like Harden today than it does Manu is like, you know, an interesting thing, a pipeline to follow. But yeah, it's Paul George's great poll. That Indiana team was super, super fun. And yeah, I, I think that's awesome. Do you have any parting shots about loving basketball, the humanity of it, the progression of it, almost the religiosity of it? Oh, man, I think... To me, I don't want to say that I don't care about titles and, and how a team looks and plays uh, at the highest level, but um, I think part of why basketball is so great is like this team, like the the Cavs right now. Like the Cavs for me have been the team this year 
that I just want to watch. I just want to watch play because they're so fun. They're so funky. They do things differently. And I legitimately think like they're going to change how the game is played to a degree. Like I, I think some teams are going to try and mimic them. It's going to go terribly, but um, them and the Raptors, like I like teams that, that play funky and do things differently and they don't just try and do what everyone else is doing. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Like I get teams wanting to win, uh, but I, I think finding new avenues to win and play is what I find exciting. Like, Part of the reason I loved that Indiana team is like, yeah, they ended up losing. They didn't make it past the conference finals. And that's how most people remember them. I'm going to remember them for being one of my favorite groups of talent, just playing together and finding a really great way to play the game. Um, like their defensive intensity. I still think they're the best defense of the last 10 years. I'm sure defensive rating or, or defensive efficiency will say otherwise. I know that they're up there within like the top five, but um like their communication, the way that they were able to kind of act as one on the court. That's the kind of stuff that I love watching. And like, same thing with this Cavs team. Like they just, they play a three, two zone with three pigs out there. And most like, it's just, it's funky and it's fun. And and you can tell like they, they had a game against the Pacers last week um, or it might've been earlier this week when uh, I think they were down like double digits Um early in the fourth quarter and they just came back had this absolute monster terror and like Kevin loves throwing behind the back wrist passes to the corner and like Chetty Osmond scores 20 in, in the fourth it's just you can tell how locked in and, 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 and together they are and that team's not going to win a title like I wouldn't be surprised if they get to the second round this year but I mean to me that's the team I'm going to remember a lot more than the Bucks or the Suns or whoever ends up coming out this year as much as I enjoy those teams too like I like the teams that do things differently. I like the players who do things differently and are funky. Like, um, not there's anything wrong with being just like anyone else, but I like seeing things that are different because it is uh, it's cool to rock the boat sometimes. Mm -hmm. The intersection of competition and entertainment is something that you can find thesis papers written on, and it, they'll dive into it in a much more concise um, and penetrating way than you and I could if we followed that thread. But even just to say it out loud, you know, is a reminder that basketball, especially at the NBA level, is so all-encompassing. It is, it is one of the largest platforms for politics in the world. It is one of the largest platforms for art, you know, biomechanical art. It is entertainment. It is the bedrock of, you know, in, in a huge gambling community. There are so many things that are tied into the NBA that just aren't basketball. And I'm so happy that you focus on basketball because I do too. Uh, what's happening on the court is above all else. That's, that's everything to me. Mm -hmm. And you know, what basketball has been able to do for me in my life and for so many other people's lives. That's why I wanted to talk about just loving basketball with people because it is so all encompassing. And I've had four guests so far and the answers have all been different. And that's a testament to the game and you know its impact on people so mark thank you so much for coming on man yeah thanks for having me sam i appreciate it man of course of course okay listener i hope you enjoyed it but whether you got into it in the morning or at night have a blessed day and goodbye <laughs>